uh, Exodus 20. You can put a finger there and also um, or bookmark and look at Matthew chapter 5. If not, both of those passage are, passages are printed for you on your announcement sheet. Uh, we have been doing a study uh, this semester of the Ten Commandments. And one of the things we've been talking about is the Ten Commandments show us how life works best. Uh, But one of the things we have learned is that the commandments, though they show us what life should look like and how life works best uh, as a human being, and it's kind of God's gift to us, one of the things they cannot do is change us. And it's very important. Uh, And what do I mean by that? Well, let me try to illustrate. Think of a mirror. Uh, When you look in a mirror, it reveals, in a sense, your flaws, doesn't it? You look in a mirror, you see something in your teeth, or you see uh, something on your face that needs to be dealt with, or you see dirt. Um, But what do you do? You don't take the mirror and take it off the wall, or if you've got a hand mirror or whatever, and you don't start scrubbing your face, do you? No, the mirror points you to the cleansing agent. It points you to the thing that can actually help you and to clean you. Well, that's in a similar way, the way the Ten Commandments are meant to function. They are a mirror for us that we hold up to our lives and they reveal uh, that we're not quite as good as we think we are. They reveal our flaws. They reveal our sin. uh, And they cannot change us. But like the mirror... The law, or the Ten Commandments, point us to the person who can. They point us to Jesus. Uh, and they say, run to, now that you see your sin, run to Jesus. He is the one that can heal you. He is the one that can change you. And I th- the reason why I say that and begin that way is because tonight, more than ever, Perhaps as we study in our study of the Ten Commandments, Commandment number six is really going to have the mirror effect. Uh, it's really going to show us what our hearts are really like and what's inside of us, uh, and that's important because um, in doing that, it points us to Jesus. And so I hope we have both of those things held together. And there it is: the gospel. Cheer up. You're a bigger mess than you think you are, but at the very same time, Jesus is better than you think he is. Um, Tonight, in this sixth commandment, it lays down a vital plank for us in the Christian world and life view. Because this commandment comes and suggests to us that human life is intrinsically, inexpressibly valuable. And the reason why... uh, we are so valuable is because out of all of God's, and when you think about hum- humanity and human beings, out of all the things that God's created, he didn't look at the trees, he didn't look at the rocks, he didn't look at the buildings and say, those things I've created, or the sun or the water, and say, those things are created in my image. No, he's looked at one thing. Human beings are the pinnacle, you are the pinnacle of God's creation. Friends, that is a game changer if that grabs a hold of you. Particularly in the way you treat yourself and the way you treat other people. What this commandment shows us is that when we we have never locked eyes with another person 
that we are not looking at the image of God. The sixth commandment, it's foundational uh, for us. Uh, Let me read this passage and then we will uh, pray and dig in uh, to the topic tonight. Uh, I'm going to read two passages. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. At Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24. Again on your announcement sheet. You've heard it's... You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now let me pray and ask God to help us with this um, very strong passage that we're going to look at tonight. Father, um, we do need you. These are pretty hard words. I pray that these hard words that you speak to us in the sixth commandment uh, would not uh, do anything but soften us and lead us to repentance. Would you show us our heart and at the very same time show us that Jesus actually came for murderous people that often have lots of hatred in their heart. Help us through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can see, um, there is no outline, and it's because uh, it was the 11th hour when I finally, this all kind of came together. And so, here's the outline tonight. Um, that happens occasionally. The first uh, three things we're going to look at tonight is the reason for the commandment, so the why. The second thing is the application. What does this look like? Thirdly, the hope. So the reason, the application, and the hope of the commandment. Let's look at number one, the reason. And by far the, the most uh, time will be spent on the second point, uh, the application. Uh, just about, so let's look at the first point, the reason, but just about uh, everyone, uh, for the most part, when you think about the sixth commandment, for the most part, everyone around the world still accepts the sixth commandment. Uh, no one approves of murder. For example, if you were to go out to the square and survey 20 people and say, is it okay to murder someone? Uh, almost everyone everyone that you talk to would say, no, that is not okay. Why? Because it's contrary to the laws of nature. And because of that, nearly every culture has some sort of law against murdering someone. Homicide is a criminal act. It is something that is against the law. Why is that? Well, Christianity says that there is inherent value in human life. I didn't list this, but you can write this down and look it up later. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. 
It says basically that God takes very, very seriously the shedding of blood. And the reason why God takes that so seriously is in the same verse, he says, because people, all people, all human beings are created in my image. And that means that all humanity has incalculable value, has incredible dignity. Even if they, and this is important, even if they don't believe in God. And so what God comes and says is that every individual, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of sexual orientation or class or economic status, has great dignity and value because they are created in God's image. And so there's a sense tonight in which you can say an attack on human life is an attack on God. There's a sense tonight in which you can say when we degrade and ruin and devalue human life, then we also degrade God. And what I want you to see and really get a hold of tonight is that this commandment is very, very personal to God. I want you to feel the weight of this idea because it has to have some sort of impact on the way you and I normally think and evaluate the Christian life. Okay, think about this. When we think about evaluating our life, and I do this too, most of the time, what do we do? We look at a list of rules or do's and don'ts, and they could be something imposed on us that aren't even in the Bible, and we say, I'm doing pretty good. Or maybe we look at our quiet time and how regularly, whatever, how consistent we are. That happens too. Uh, How consistent you are in your quiet time. Or how long it is. Or how good your prayer life is going and how consistent you are. Or how many campus ministries that you attend and how involved you are. Or what you will or will not do on the weekend. And we look at those things and we hold them up and say, I'm doing pretty good. But what the Bible says, uh, it's interesting, in John chapter 13, verse 35, it says, those aren't the way, the Bible really never talks about those being the ways we evaluate our Christian life. John chapter 13, verse 35, another verse to write down and look up later. This is Jesus speaking. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Not if you know all this theology, not if you, you know, have a great quiet time, great prayer life, fill in all the things I just mentioned. People will know whether you're my disciples in the ways that you love one another. You see, that's where the Bible places the emphasis on whether or not you're valuing human life. Whether or not you're valuing and caring for and forgiving and serving the people that God has placed all around you in your life. That's the first point. The reason why God gives us this commandment is because people are created in God's image. Secondly, the application. This is, again, where I want to spend most of our time. But before we kind of dig into the application, and by the way, there are two sub-points. If you're a note-taker, you're going to do application to the heart and application with our words. 
So that's an A and a B subpoint if you're a note taker. Uh, but before we dig into that, because this will make sense as we go on, is the commandments are stated in a negative way, right? Do not murder. But there's always a positive side to the commandment as well. For example, it forbid, what it forbids, it also commands in the opposite. So if it forbids murder, the opposite of that is that you and I are to value human life. We're to uh, encourage and not tear down. We are to love people and serve them. Okay, you got it? So there's always a negative, but also it is commanding the positive as well. And that will make sense as we work that out under this point. But the first part uh, is the heart. So what does it look like for this commandment to be worked out in our lives? Okay, well, the ultimate expression of this, and it's very obvious, but I need to at least state it, is degrading uh, the value of a person. Uh, The ultimate expression of that is in the literal act of murder. Okay, that's obvious, but in taking someone's life, that is the ultimate expression of this commandment, where life is actually taken. But something interesting happens. As Jesus comes along... In the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and you should totally read that as we're going through this study of the Ten Commandments. And he really gets in our business. He really gets in our face and gets nose to nose with us in a sense. And no one at the end of Jesus' sermon and the Sermon on the Mount would have looked and said, Man, that was a great sermon. It was, of course, but no one after hearing that would have thought that. Why? Because it leveled us and it leveled them, the people that were hearing it originally. It was devastating because Jesus comes and he starts going point by point through God's commandments and he doesn't say this. You've heard, do not murder. You're good. You haven't literally murdered, physically murdered anybody, so you're okay. Let's lighten up. We wish he would have said that, but he doesn't. He comes instead and says, you've heard it said, do not murder. And you think do not murder. Well, I haven't physically murdered anyone, so this is actually one commandment that I'm doing pretty good on. But then Jesus goes a step further and says, but I'm telling you, if anyone has has ever been angry, has ever condescended, look down on someone or dismiss someone or held a grudge against someone, against a sibling or a family member or a friend or any other human being, then you have committed murder. That's what Jesus says. And you see, this is where the mirror becomes really, really stark. And it's really, really hard because Jesus shows us in this commandment and he says, I'm going to take this all the way to the bottom. I'm going to take this to your heart and show you that this actually is way deeper than simply physically murdering someone. But it has to do with your attitudes and your words and your actions. You see, Jesus says that this slow burn that often we have in our hearts or this disdain or dislike for someone, that smugness or that condescension that we sometimes feel towards another person, Jesus says that is murder and a violation of the sixth commandment because you are killing the image of God. You see, murder flows out of a heart 
that essentially says, I wish this person didn't exist. And so let's flesh this out a little bit more. And you're thinking, I, I thought we were fleshing this out. <laughs> well, let's, let's work it out a little more and look at specifically what this might look like in our hearts and in our lives. Do you ever enjoy hearing something bad that's happened to, that's happened to someone else? Maybe you wouldn't ever say that out loud, but in your heart, have you ever thought after hearing something that's happened to someone that wasn't all that great, have you ever thought in your heart of hearts, finally, they've got something, they, got it, they had it coming to them this whole time, and they're finally getting what they deserved. Jesus says that's murder in your heart. That's one example. But let's think of another. And I think a very clear example, particularly, or or an application, particularly in our current climate, uh, in our country, uh, is racism. Friends, this needs to be stated as clearly as it possibly can be stated. But any act of racism is breaking the sixth commandment. And honestly, if I'm real honest and vulnerable with you, I haven't taken that as seriously as I should have. And you probably haven't taken it as seriously as you should have either. Because when we really understand what racism is and understanding it at its core, Jesus says that it is murder. And friends, your campus minister, as your campus minister that's just here a few weeks and a few more weeks, but I have so far to go in this area of racial reconciliation and racial justice. Brian Sorgenfry, again, who will be your new campus minister, he and I often joke that we're in racial reconciliation kindergarten um, because we feel so inadequate. I feel so inadequate in, in this area to even talk about these things, but I want to tell you that God's really at work in me in this area. And I want to say this. When we, or when I, when we refuse to listen to African Americans or when we dismiss them and write them off as simply just being angry, we are breaking the sixth commandment. You see that? We're we're devaluing them as a person created in the image of God. Why is that? Because think about it. What is one of the primary ways that you can show someone dignity and value? It's to sit across the table from another person and listen and get to know their story and be in a relationship with them. Because what happens, particularly if you do that with someone of another skin color... It totally changes the way we think about things, doesn't it? Because when we start moving towards someone and listening and developing a relationship with them and actually saying, I want to understand, what that does is it takes racism from being this abstract thing to being a very personal thing. Because all of a sudden it has a face and a name and a heart and a story 
And it's way harder to dismiss when that happens. And it's not just in the area of race. We're seeing it now in the area of politics. Do we write people off because they disagree with us? And we burn on the inside with hatred towards them because they have an opposing view. We see it in the area of Greek life. Independents do it with Greeks, and Greeks do it with independents. And we reduce people and kind of sum them up and put them in a particular group when we say things like, oh yeah, that's sorority. Those are the girls that do this or that. You see how that belittles and just kind of sums up and devalues people and just puts them... um, in, in a box, in a sense, in which we don't even really know them. And so we just sum them up and dismiss them. It happens when we condescend and dislike and, and have disdain towards another fraternity or sorority. We could think of tons of examples. But here's my question. Was any of those things physical homicide? No. None of those things. But we just in our heart of hearts said, I wish this group of people or I wish this person were not in my life and we walked away. And Jesus says, friends, I know this is hard. That's why it took me till right before to get an outline together. But Jesus says in our heart of hearts, When we do these things, it's murder. So what does it look like in our words? He's not done, unfortunately. B, words, under the application section. One of the best ways to hear about how you're talking or about what's really going on in your heart and how you really think about people is to listen to your words. Listen to what comes out of your mouth. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, out of the heart the mouth speaks. So out of an overflow, what comes out of here reveals what's on the inside. And we see that very clearly. Look at verse 22 in the Matthew passage. Jesus warns us against insulting people and calling them a fool. And what's interesting is the word insult here means to render someone... This is very interesting. The word literally means in the original language to render someone a nobody or useless. Okay, think about that. And you want to talk about some application uh, for our lives. Think about how powerful that is for us. Have you ever looked at someone or ignored someone because they could do nothing for you? Maybe something like help you climb the social ladder or get you in with a particular group of people? Or what about the opposite of that? that? Have you ever used someone to get what you want? Used someone in order to get you in? Jesus calls that murder. You see, when our actions in RUF tell people that they're not welcomed here, what that does is, in a sense 
tells this person or that person that feels unwelcomed in some way tells them that they're not useful to us. And we murder them. The sarcasm. Think about literally our words, the banter, the uh, degrading laughs, the ways that we turn phrases in order to make someone feel stupid. Jesus says when we do those things that we're actually murdering that person. When we pass around information on this campus or in your friend group that things that are true or things that are untrue about someone that actually degrades them. I heard so-and-so was totally trashed last night. Or did you know that she didn't come home? You see, that belittles and degrades a person. And Jesus says that when we do that, we actually murder them. You see, when you speak careless and hurtful words, what that is revealing is that you think this person, really in your heart of hearts, you think that they're useless and inconsequential to your life. And yes... We might, here's, here, here, here's the deal. My concern is not in for my own life. It's not that we're going to physically murder someone. But my concern for us and for my own life is that we slowly but surely start to see people more and more as insignificant and inconsequential. And my fear is that we would, be, we're, would become so self-absorbed and we would actually stop caring about people as human beings and start treating them as objects. And people become objects when we use them, for example. Here's another way it happens. For our own sexual pleasure. Or people become objects and we're not giving them the dignity and the value that God has given them when they get on our nerves and because they're so annoying to us, all we want to do is get rid of them. You see, when we treat people created in the image of God, when we treat people as objects, we dehumanize them. And Jesus says that's breaking the sixth commandment. So what's the positive? Remember, there's always a positive side to the commandments. Well, we're also called to treat people according to the value that God has given them. And one of the ways we can do that with our words. Think about this semester. Have you spoken life, joy-filled, encouraging words to another person? Think about that. Because... That's part of the call of this commandment. And, and here's a real practical application. Is think about someone in your life. Think about someone in this room. Or think about someone in your friend group. What if tonight, wherever you're going after this, to the library, back to your dorm, back to your apartment, what if you just spoke life-giving words and gave them encouragement for no other reason than, than to simply encourage them? To go to them and tell, you, tell them that you are thankful for them. That you are thankful that God brought them into your life. Tell them that you are thankful uh, and glad that they're here and that they came to RUF tonight. Will that be awkward? Maybe. <laughs> but you know why I think it's awkward? It's because we don't do it enough. 
Friends, I am convinced that all the depression and the anxiety and the insecurity that we experience in our life would go down greatly if we would simply take the time to consistently speak life-giving words to one another. Hope. Who needs hope? (laughs) I know I do. So what, what's the hope? Where is the hope for murderous people who have hatred, who gossip, who belittle, who have racism in their heart? Where's the hope? Well, if you've been coming to RUF, you know the hope is Jesus. The hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? Well, think about, think about the gospel. What has Jesus done for us? And how has Jesus dealt with us? Jesus, as we think about the gospel, he looked at us and he saw a problem. What was the problem? The problem was our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion, our anger against him. And so we mocked him and we murdered him and we nailed him to a cross, the Bible says, and watched him die. And the irony of the gospel is that in the greatest murderous act of all time that the world has ever known, it was through that, the killing of God, that God actually made peace with the world and peace with his people. It's absolutely amazing. I heard a story a while back about a married couple who had been trying for years to get pregnant. And they, uh, the wife finally was pregnant and they were, as you can imagine, so excited about having a child uh, the, they go to the hospital. She has a healthy uh, baby boy, and the the uh, boy, the baby boy, is in the nursery. And a nurse comes in and accidentally gives this, mistakenly gives the child an IV uh, and injects a drug that actually that was not intended for the child, and gave the child irreversible brain damage. And the pastor gets wind of this situation and he obviously goes and he's trying to console, going to console the, the family and the, and the mother. And he walks in to the room and the mother is holding this baby boy and this child. And he looks at her and he says, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. But I'm here. And she looks at him, the mom, and says, well... Believe it or not, we're very heartbroken, but we're actually okay. And he says, how in the world are you okay? And she says, all I could see was a picture of someone holding up this baby and saying, who wants this child? This child who will never be able to walk, never be able to speak and say thank you, never be able to eat, take a bath, or go to the bathroom uh, on his own. All I could see is someone saying, who wants this child? And I saw myself saying, I want that child. And the pastor says, yeah, but why and how? And here's her reply. She said, because I could see someone holding me up. And saying, who wants this woman? This woman who often has hatred in her heart. This woman who gossips about other people and talks about them behind their back and stabs them in the back. 
Who wants her? And she said, I could see Jesus standing up and saying, I want that woman. She's mine. Friends, that's our only hope. That is our only cure for our murderous hearts. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way you and I are ever going to love those that are unlike us. The only way we're going to love and move towards those people who rub us the wrong way and get on our nerves and make us angry is when we realize that that's us before a holy God. And how did God respond? Did God push us away? Did God say, I want nothing to do with you. I'm done. I have given you enough chances. We're done. Does God get rid of us and push us away? Away? Absolutely not. But God looks and we are held up and He says, I want that one. They are mine. You see, this commandment, the keeping of this commandment only comes through Jesus. It's only when we look in the mirror and see ourselves and see our own sin and see how patient and gentle Jesus is with us will we ever be patient and gentle with someone else and actually move towards them. Jesus is calling us tonight to lay down our weapons of murder. The weapons of murder that exist in our hearts in our words, and in our relationships, and move towards our enemies, and move towards other people, and pursue peace. Let's pray.